This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Here's Spironi, who rolls the ball out to Cannon. He's got options in front of him. He picks out Thomas. This is a nice-looking move from Palace. That's a neat ball to Ambrose, where space on the right. Good turn. He crosses into Johnson! Oh, yes! Back of the nest! Greetings all, I am called Chris Hambling and this is the Back of the Nest Review Show. We'll be looking back at Palace's 2-0 win at home against Huddersfield Town, uh, relegating the Terriers to the second tier of English football. Uh, with me today are a very exciting panel, Chris Clark, Cy Pizzi and DR Kernas. I'll be talking to those gentlemen in just a minute. Uh, we've got a bit of your contact and various little topics we'll be talking about talking about from the week just gone. We'll be back with you after this short message. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, let's get straight into this. Chris Clark, you're doing this show with unbrushed teeth. What is that about? Well, I don't, I don't tend to get up uh, very early on Sundays. Um, and we're recording this at an earlier time than we normally do. Um, so I woke up 20 minutes before we recorded. Um, so we're recording now. Um, and we don't need to say what time that is because we don't mention time on this show. Um, no, but... no time, time is immaterial. In the exactly. So when we're recording, it doesn't matter, except it does matter in this case because I've only just got out of bed, so I haven't had time to brush my teeth. Um, yeah, but but of course it's confusing, isn't it? Because when the listener listens to it, you you could have been out, out of bed for a long time, couldn't you? So It is possible. I, I, I would just yeah. take a view that possibly my teeth remain unbrushed for the whole of time. <laughs> well listen i don't have time to get into it but that is not the way to go uh listeners at home especially the younger of you please do brush your teeth try to do it twice a day uh try to floss as well uh flossing is extremely important of course if you notice blood uh, on a regular basis that could be a early sign of gum disease and you'll want to visit your dentist i mean which you want to do on a regular basis anyway right chris well yeah i, I would certainly advise that although you know don't get an appointment too early in the morning is my advice no, no, exactly. You can sleep, sleep through it. And obviously, even if you do wake up in time, you might attend a dentist with unbrushed teeth. And <laughs> then that's a whole uh, a whole can of worms open there. Anyway, we'll talk more about dental matters in a bit, but let's get to Sai. Hello, Sai. Hello, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, delightful. You? Um, yeah, uh, good, good. Although I, got... re- 
I was happy not to have to watch football for two weeks after um, our last uh, outing. So it was nice to have a break away from the pain of a Palace weekend. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's funny, even though there was a victory, that pain doesn't seem to have fully subsided. So um, we'll be no. talking about that as well. Uh, but what, what did you do yourself in that, that, that couple of weeks off? What was I doing? Just mainly running. You know, I'm getting back into it again this year now. So it's just running and lots of it. Um, although I was thinking, I did brush my teeth this morning, which is positive. And I wondered if um, DR had used his favourite form of mouthwash, uh, that, that medical brand, <laughs> Dr Pepper. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. Oh, do you know what? Do you know, do you know what? I mean, I, I like to beat the, beat the Dr Pepper drum repeatedly because you know obviously and you know we it's probably the thing that we've had the most contact about ever i have slightly detected one or two people getting a little bit annoyed that we keep talking about it and the trouble with that is it does make you want to talk about it more um, it, it does and officially i think it was 15 to 20 percent of americans thought dr pepper, dr pepper was actually mouthwash so um <laughs> it's an amazing stat i'll find out where i got that from but that's actually a true stat uh it was unbelievable sounds like a that pub fact yeah. He's definitely a pub fact. <laughs> right. Well, we've we've mentioned him. We better talk to him. It's Dr. Kernas. You're right. Yeah. Um, you have been relatively quiet over the last couple of weeks and haven't reported on doing anything ridiculous. However, knowing you as I do, I'm almost certain you've done something stupid that you haven't told us about. Um, what have I done? I haven't really done anything. Um, so I've been just chilling, doing me. Um. I've, 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 you know what? You know what um, I've tried to do. You know what I've tried to do. Stay away from Palace as like, as much as I can. That's why I haven't spoken to anyone really in the chat saying anything. I'll just be in another world. <laughs> so as we do uh, these days, we'll be talking about a few of the key topics that we've come up with this week, as well as looking at the events of the game. Uh, but we want to start this week. The bit of an acknowledgement that that win, however it came about. It puts us in a position where we're, essentially we are safe. We, you know, we will we'll, we'll be in the Premier League next year, barring some catastrophic run of results that where we don't pick up a point. And I guess probably Cardiff managed to win more games than you would statistically say is is likely. Uh, so we're we're pretty comfortable as it is now. So it's really about, you know, we can look back at the season to a certain degree and, and talk about maybe. Certainly, in my view, it's a season of of underachievement with the squad that we had. With the caveat that that Roy's had to deal with, um, you know, a lack of, should we say, options um, in, in the you know up front for for at least half of that season. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about. Look, do we want to go? You know, going into the summer, you see a lot of people talk about, you know, whether or not they want Roy to continue as our manager, which is obviously a, a very difficult topic to talk about. But uh, also, what do we want to see in terms of players ins and outs, and what? At this early stage, do we think we should be expecting next season? You know, are we to expect the same kind of regular struggles that we have, just trying to stay in the league, or, or should we be expecting better? I mean, um, in terms of whether I want Roy uh, in at the club or out, I think in the last pod you lot talked about my rant, so I've I've put, um, gone towards the side of um, Roy out due to the fact that I think that with underachieved this season um if you look at our squads um arguably one of our best squads ever that we've had in the premier league and all season long we've just haven't really pushed on we haven't turned the corner and now we're 30 games in and it's coming towards the end of the season so it's been a massive underachievement and i just feel like we could be doing better with this squad we haven't pushed it to its limits and 
in all honesty, it's just frustrating. But it really depends on the club's ambitions, doesn't it? Because fans want something different than a club because at the end of the day, it's a business. So the club can look at this as a success. But me personally, I think that this squad can do better because we've set it up. You know, that that's why the club might see it as a success. But I feel like this squad should at least push for the top 10. But all season long, we haven't seen that. It hasn't been like Bournemouth where there were good in the start of the season then they fell down we've just been bang average all season long we, we haven't been good at any point really and that's really the frustrating part and that's why I think we need to change it because this squad won't stick around for much long if we keep fighting for relegation so I don't know what it really depends on what the club feel like though it's a tough one because I saw I was listening to the Love Sport pod with Nick and Dr. and and Jake was basically saying, you know, your squad isn't as good as you think it is, and he he was putting us back down at thirteenth, and and actually he thought that was a pretty much average and justified position for our squad, and I know we're biased as Palace fans, and then if you look back at the start of the season when when we didn't have the biggest spending transfer window, and Roy said our objective was survival, and if you look at his press conference yesterday, he said we've averaged a point a game. You know he's quite satisfied with that, and and he and he thinks survival was the was the objective, and you know effectively we've done that. So I think the club's ambitions are definitely different to ours. Um, I, there's a couple of things you said there that I think are really important. Um, one is is the bias that we have because I often think to myself when when we you know when when I look at our opponents' lineup, how many of those players would I take and put in our side, and. You know, like I, th- I think one that really sort of struck struck home to me was against Watford, who we've beaten us three times this season. So, how many of those players would I actually take over the players that we have? And it's not many. And I have to, and I have to sort of look at that and think, well, clearly I am biased because performance dictates that over the course of a season they've been significantly better than us in both games against us and in game, games overall. But when I look at the squad, I don't feel that. So that's when I start questioning my own bias, but also questioning whether or not Roy's getting the best out of the squad. Um, but, you know, you also mentioned, um, you know, that that kind of that topic of, of getting the best out of the players we've got. It's, it's, you know, it's such a tough thing to call because it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to play any game in the Premier League. You think even with the, the Huddersfield game, which obviously we're, we're analysing to some degree later on, you know, that's that was their... They went into that game knowing if they lose it, there's a huge chance they'll go down, and they did. So clear, clearly, they're going to be set up to try not to lose that game. But also, you know, it's basically about nullifying our threat, and we really struggle with that. And there's lots of reasons why, and, and some of those we'll be getting into. But um, I think, you know, yeah, jump in, Chris Cole. I think that you need to be quite careful not to um, over... Uh, do the negative on this I mean if so let's just start with um, a simple statistical thing and I know that you said that um, you know the stats don't show the full horror but you know we've got 36 points from 31 games so we're, we're, we're on track you know very comfortably for survival if you look at the clubs below and above us we're eight points away from the relegation zone and we're eight points away from being in seventh place you know we're bang in the middle of that group and I think that's probably about where we belong you know we could easily with one win becoming a you know one defeat becoming a win or one win becoming a defeat be a lot higher up that group or a lot lower so I think it's important not to overreact to these very very fine margins it's a very competitive league and this middle bit that we're in 
you know, you can end up higher or lower one season. And I think, you know, you think back to a couple of years ago, three years ago, when um, Pardew was in charge and we were sixth after uh, at Christmas, you know, we were all talking about, you know, going on a European tour and all of that. That could easily happen again, especially with this squad, if they hook it up at the in, in next season. The, the key question, really, you were talking about, you know, what players from other teams would we want to bring in? Um, I actually don't think that there's huge amounts wrong necessarily with the players we've got, although there are areas where we'd need to strengthen centre-back being the one that I would, um, you know, pick out specifically. The, the key thing that I think we need to be looking at is whether we are using the right system for the players we've got and whether we need to at least have a different option in the locker. So th- those are those are my immediate thoughts on that. I, I really think we shouldn't get too down or too worried about where we are. I think it's, it's very interesting. Uh, and going back to the, the comment about number of points, obviously 36 out of 31, you know, it, it is reasonable. But Roy made the comment at... 33 out of 30, I think it was. So and it was, a, it was a very negative reaction to him saying he was satisfied with that. And I can see why, because, I mean, first of all, it does show you the level of expectation that there is, that, you know, why should we be satisfied with that level of points when clearly the fan base feels that we're capable of better? Uh, but what was probably the, the most interesting point I found about that was Roy was kind of saying we have, he was satisfied with it, and it could have been a whole lot more. And I really struggle with Roy's could have been because it's it's a constant theme throughout everything that he says. You know, he keeps saying there's, oh, there's not been many games where I've got to the end and I've thought, you know, we deserve to get what we got, you know, in terms of if, if we've lost or maybe drawn, that we deserve, you know, he, he seems to think that, oh, we deserve better. But over the course of a season, you can't say that as much as we have been. You can't say, oh, it was bad luck. Oh, that was bad luck again. Oh, it was bad luck again. It was bad luck. Every week, it's bad luck that we didn't win the game. Well, actually, every week, it's the chances falling to the wrong people or to people who aren't mentally ready to take them. It's it's giving away possession in key areas where we don't really need to. It's players not giving each other enough options. It's players not backing each other. It's players not throwing themselves in front of everything like we used to when we got up in the Premier League. And that's the difference for me. We're all about shape and positioning, but that that little bit extra that occasionally you need um, to turn a difficult game into into a win or to into scraping a draw against you know a late date. It's that urgency, that level of desire, and we see that in some of the teams that we play against, who arguably we should be beating because they have to give it that extra. And I, I just basically what I'm saying is, I do not like to see us outworked, and I feel that we have been on a number of occasions. I think there's a couple of things on that, Chris. I think from if you look at the stats, I think I saw it from the eighth of December, we're sixth in the league. So we've always said since we've come up, we can't pencil two or, or pull together two halves of a season. And what could we do if we if we if we actually could achieve that? So second half of the season has been obviously a lot better than the first. And the other one is if you look at our away form. Living in the Midlands, I tend to go to more of the away games, and they just suit us down to the ground. We've only got one way of playing which is counter. And, and, and actually, we're a different team. We're more decisive when we're away from home. We're more confident on the break. And you look at yesterday, it was painful because Huddersfield came, they were compact, they pressed they pressed well, and we just didn't have an answer for it. And I, I just feel that half of our problem is we just we can only play one way. Yeah, and that falls down to bad management. It's pretty much it. It's not down to luck. You look at our home form compared to our away form. Um, why can't we play 
better at home. You, you know, this side clearly can play football. Like we've seen it when we play away from home, we're we're completely a different side. And then at home, we just you look at yesterday, the first half. I was just wondering to myself, what on earth is going on? It seems like it's like the first game of the season, and the players are not really on the same page. That's what it felt like. It doesn't. It didn't feel like it was the thirtieth game, and these players are played together for God knows how many more, how many minutes. It just didn't feel like that. And that just falls down to bad management. And then you look at getting the best out of their players. You look at Penteke under Sam Allardyce. Like, you mean, that's what good management is. Like, he got Benteke to score 17 goals. Now, yesterday Benteke came on and I thought he'd done a good job. But Benteke under Roy Hodgson, he, he hasn't been nothing. And yes, confidence and injuries play a part. But a player of his calibre can't drop that low he, he he just can't that in that in the short space of time and that's pretty much it i think um unless things change i'll keep my view like this um yesterday was a good start in uh, starting max meyer because that's one of the annoying things all season long at home we've just been too defensive so starting max meyer was a good thing but there's just so many other things i need to change for me to be convinced that roy can carry us on to success because right now it doesn't look like it well, I'll take this on to, to Max just after this kind of this, this sort of summing up, if you like. But I mean, I was I was nodding along when you talked about, and you can't see that because obviously it's audio. But I was nodding, Dio, when you were saying that the first half was the uh, the team looked like they hadn't played together because that was exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking we, we you know we look like we've spent the last two weeks. Obviously, players were away on international duty, but we spent the last two weeks, you know, just doing something else other than preparing for this match because there didn't seem to be a clear idea of what we're going to do. And, and to kind of pick the points that will take us into the discussion over Max Mayer and some, some general issues around the more talented players and the system, it was, you know, you got, you, you pick Max, you're playing, we're playing a midfield three and, I, and I've looked at the, the positions and it was very much a four, three, three. Um, and, and it was pretty narrow as well. It was the fullbacks again, that gave us the width. And that's a very much a feature of, of Roy Hodgson and how he plays, um, how he sets us up to play. So we decided that the way to get the best out of picking Max Mayer and pl- playing him on the right-hand side of a centre three as well, which, again, R- Ray Lewington's been on on record as saying that's not where he wants to play. He wants to play on the left of a three, but, you know, Jeffrey Schlupp was there. So we decided that the way of dealing with that was to pump the ball into the channels or knock it straight up to, to Bat Shuai, who, again, isn't really the sort of forward that you want to see playing with his back to goal and trying to deal with, you know, long balls up to him. You know, he's not going to win that many headers. And we saw that work when Benteke came off the bench, but that that's, you know, those are the tactics for when you've got someone like Benteke upfield, not when you're playing with Zaha left, Townsend right, and Batshuayi through the middle. So we're basically bypassing a midfield. And then you look at the midfield performances, and Max May is the one who gets, you know, hooks off at half-time and didn't have the greatest of games, but neither did Jeffrey Schlupp. You know, he gave away the ball plenty of times. Put us under real pressure at one point as well, where he went down expecting a foul. Just just sat there, you know. That's what I mean about this level of urgency and the work rate. Players can't do that. You can't, you don't play, you play to the whistle. It's a, such an old cliche. That's what you do. And people are letting us down when they do stuff like that. And I, and I hate to say it because I'm sure it's not a conscious thing. But for me, it's that's the mentality. You've got to get that level of urgency in the team. And to to bypass Mayer and then effectively it's hanging him out to dry. There's no point, and I said this on on Love Sport uh, yesterday when I had the uh, 
when I was reacting after the game, and I was a lot more frustrated back then than I am now. But you, you, you there's no point signing a player like Max Mayer if you're going to keep playing the way that we're playing, and that's what drives me mad about Roy. But yeah, so what, what do we think, Simon Max? You, you know, obviously went off at halftime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I thought that was really unfortunate that it went off at half-time because it reminded me the first half of that game as much as it's painful. It reminds me of the first half of the Stoke away game last year when we really relegated them as well. That, that we, if you remember that game, we were, we were going long ball because Stoke had worked us out and they were pushing us back and we had no other options. And at half-time, he obviously got into the players and we completely changed. And I think if he'd left Max on it, you know, and, and changed the way we were playing, which he did going up you know, two up front, it would have been a completely different story and Max could have influenced more. So I think it, people will be saying that Max coming off was a big impact on the second half. And actually, I think it was more the style and, and, and tactics change and Max was an unfortunate victim of that. I mean, if you look at it, how many times have we done substitutions at half time? Like this season is pretty much Roy doesn't like doing substitutions. It's pretty much, that's that's the story of the season. And the fact that he took off Max at half time, even though he wasn't playing good, it was very harsh. There's been so many games where James McArthur, he hasn't played good. Um, Jeffrey Slup, he hasn't played good, but they've still remained on the pitch. How can you expect a player like Max Meyer to fit into your system and just get used to it if you don't give him the chance? You need to play him consistently. It's not like Max Meyer has played in the Premier League for the last 20 years. The guy just came to the Premier League now. It's it's the first time he's moved away from home. So unless you give him a chance to actually express himself, then it's not clearly going to work. And it just shows that Roy doesn't trust Max. Like even even when you look even when you look at it first half, we we're talking about how Max was playing poor. Whenever he had the ball, there wasn't players that were showing themselves to Max. Like there was nothing he could do. As, as you talked about, we just bypassed midfield. So it wasn't really Max's fault. It was more down to tactics as well. So it was just a frustrating thing to happen. I, I know it worked out at the end, but what what can we expect from Max if we hardly get to see him have a good run out in the team? Like even when he starts, he, he can't finish the game. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and it's um, and I do want to acknowledge one thing that you know we've been critical, as you say, dear, of Roy Hudson and his substitutions, but he was decisive, um, and I've got you've got to applaud that to some degree. Now, look, it doesn't take a genius to work out that we had to do something dramatic at half time because we were absolutely terrible, but you know you 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 have to you have to ask the question. If we're going to pay whatever it is we're paying Max Mayer a week, which is, is a fairly substantial amount because, you know, obviously he was on a free and the, the transfer fee that we would have had to pay tends to get uh, put into the wages on that. So he's being paid quite a lot of money. So my immediate thought is if 
we could if we if we just want functional players who can play the system and do exactly what Roy wants them to do in that position, which is what you're talking about with Jeffrey Schlupp and what you're talking about with with James MacArthur, they get played as much as they do because they are intelligent, functional, hardworking players who know exactly what Roy wants and can translate that onto the pitch. Whereas someone like Max Mayer, you know, he's not there yet. And I think that's why he suffers. But it just begs the question, why sign him in the first place? Why pay all that money to someone and then try to make make them play in a system that doesn't suit them? You know, the best teams, particularly teams that don't have masses of riches of brilliant players, they take their best players and they work out how best to use them. And you look at the way we we shifted Zaha in, into a central position in the second half. That was to get him to impact the game more, and it worked perfectly. So that's an example of doing getting your best player in a deep in the right position for the game. So we do it for Will, but we don't do it for Max. I mean, when we signed Max, I don't think we were really expecting him to stay on past his contract because he's known to be a quality player but one thing I want to get one thing straight about this Max Meyer situation is that I think Max Meyer is a quality player but he's not a world beater he's not like a top 10 top 20 midfielder in the world I feel like sometimes fans do talk about him in that way I feel like he has got it in him and he can live up to being a very very good midfielder but he had you know he's still he's still in my eyes just a good good midfielder and um, another thing that I want to mention is that uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, for example, last season, um, he wasn't great for 38 games. He turned up more in the second half. And how did that come across? I know injuries, injuries played a part and missed a couple of games, but he, you know, he got a good run out with run out with the team. And that's just another example of of you know giving a player opportunity and him take you know taking it as the season goes on. Ruben Loftus-Cheek really switched up towards the second half of the season and became a player who went who went to the World Cup. And that's pretty it pretty much shows it that if you give a player a chance and let them play with the team, then did you laugh? I just heard something. Oh, was that Simon? Anyways, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, if you give a player a chance, then you, you're going to really see what they can offer. I, I completely agree with you, I think uh, I'm a big fan of Max. And yeah, he might not be the world beater we all think he originally was, but he's got that natural ability and natural time on the ball. When, when he has the ball, it looks like he has more time than anyone else. And that's the sign, of, for me, of, of a really top-quality player. Also, I think he's got a natural finish in him. And if you know, we talked about the game yesterday, the amount of times we just couldn't finish our opportunities. I think if Max falls on the end of some of them, he, he does finish them. And if you look at Roy's press conference, I mean, I did. I was slightly worried which way it was going to go at one stage because when the uh, reporter asked him, "Have you got a problem with finishing?" he said, "He sound, you sound like my wife." I thought, "Jesus, where's Roy going with this?" But um, he, he did say, actually, you know, we, we do practice those those opportunities of training, and, and some of them are just bottling in it. But I think Max would have would have finished some of those. I think DR made a key point there a minute ago about the simple truth that, you know, I mean, we, we all get very frustrated with Roy not making substitutions, um, at least, you know, usually until the 75th minute. In this case, he made a decisive change, as Chris said. Um, it's one way of dealing with the issue, because the issue, as I see it, was that Max wasn't involved in the game enough. But as has already been said... Yeah, actually, the issue was that we were bypassing midfield and the, the ball was not being given to Max or Max wasn't winning the ball. So rather than hook him off at half-time, um, you know, well, probably the first time that a really decisive sub has been made by Hodgson this season, um, the thing to do 
or at least another option would be to tell the other players to give the ball to Max and to tell Max to make himself available and make the runs and be in the right position. Um, it doesn't have to be take him off, you know. So, I mean, substitutions are one thing, but actually tactical tweaks are another way of making changes. And, you know, it's frustrating that didn't happen, but, you know, it's what it is. I think that's a really good point that you make there, Chris. Um, certainly, it's worth acknowledging whilst we're talking about Max Mayer in particular that, you know, he, he hasn't fulfilled the expectations that we've had. And maybe those expectations were a little unfair because they weren't, in the main, weren't based on actually seeing him play a significant amount of football. I don't think many of us have seen. There are, obviously, there are a few people who watch Bundesliga and know a fair bit about him. But, you know, in the main, the Palace support hasn't seen Max Mayer play a lot of football before they've seen him join Palace. So perhaps that expectation is a bit unfair. And there were certainly times during the game yesterday that, Though I noticed that he he could have done more again that that urgency we talk about, you know, not breaking forward into the box when in opportunity, you know, playing a pass and then watching that pass, not passing and moving that kind of stuff. So there's certainly stuff that he needs to do better. Um, but at the same time, how much of that is down to Roy's approach? And again, to pick a phrase that I've used already a couple of times in, in talking to people after after the match. I feel when I watch Palace, we are thinking about what happens when we lose the ball rather than thinking about what happens if we don't. You know, So if you're continuously focused on the the negative, if you like, the, the move breaking down, which to be fair, more often than not in football, a move does break down. You don't score every time you attack by any stretch of the imagination. You don't ch- create a chance every time you attack. So I understand there being a, a conscious bias towards keeping shape and, and defending, but you know that can stifle you massively in, in the attacking sense, and I think a lot of that is is what we see when we're you know particularly when we're playing at home. We are constantly thinking about the shape. I do want to acknowledge Simon that I did laugh when you pointed out Roy's comments um, about having a problem with finishing. Of course, it's better to have a problem with finishing, um, you know, than having a problem with finishing too early. If you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, and, and again, I suppose it's better to have a problem with finishing than not being able to start. But the problem when I was when I was listening, to it, I thought, "Geez, where where are we going?" But you know, I, I I've been really thinking about this last couple of weeks, and I've not been trying to think about Palace and thinking about Roy. And I just keep thinking of what what Nick said. He's got it in my head now of Kerbishleitis and us saying, you know, we, we don't want Roy anymore. He's not adventurous enough. We've gone as far as we can with Roy. And and what what fills me with fear is that we end up in the Championship the season after, and it's just a really really difficult balance to strike because you know with Roy you're not going to go down don't you yeah exactly he will get us a, a result if we need a result I still have that confidence in him um, and that's been pretty much since since not necessarily day one but I think probably the, the second we beat Chelsea um, when he joined us after a couple of dodgy games against the Manchester clubs I think that ever since then I've kind of had that belief that if we desperately need a result Roy will get us a result and that's a very very hard thing particularly if you're owners to kind of to sacrifice but the bigger question is then what do you give how do you give Roy what he needs to progress is he capable of doing that you know what what are the players that he needs to take his his way of playing his shape and his system to win more games because ultimately that's what we want to do Um, and particularly we want to see better performances at home and what we really need to see when you look at how the fan base has gradually shifted this season we need to, to to want to watch football i mean look at looking at the game again i've said this a few times 
if if you watch the highlights from that game, you have lucked out because what you see is us creating a series of chances that we miss and then taking a couple of chances and winning the game. What you don't see is the 80 minutes or so that was torturous to watch. It was it was horrible. I mean, the first half, I, I, it's almost I'm almost falling out of love with football when I see that. I don't feel inspired to go and watch Crystal Palace play when we play like that. And I don't want to trade our place in the Premier League, if you like, for being entertained and losing. But I don't see that as the only alternative. I don't see the way we're playing as the only way to get the points that we need to get. And I don't see if we were to play more expansive or to be a bit braver or just to add some urgency into the side, I don't see that as automatically being a trade-off against the security that we have in the system that we have. And that, I guess, is is, is debate, debate in it all. And we'll get into the, uh, the detail of the game in just a moment. But I want to take a little moment to talk about uh, a story that broke in the sports mail yesterday, uh, which was head of coaching David Muir, um, leaving Crystal Palace. He resigned and his resignation was accepted um, as there's an investigation ongoing around his conduct, uh, I believe, on a coaching course. Uh, and that conduct related to a supposedly, allegedly racist comment. So, you know, for him to have resigned, you'd suggest there might this, there's certainly a case to answer there. And guys, obviously, we don't know the details and we can't really talk about the individual case. But on a weekend where... You know, there's been a real focus on uh, the No Room for Racism campaign. And obviously we've come off the back of uh, an international break where uh, the England side away at Montenegro have seen uh, the um, uh, the players racially abused. Um, it's certainly something we don't need. And we've, we've had various staff incidents this week, but I guess really disappointing. Yeah, it really is. Um what happened at the England game and the fact that it's 2019 uh, and we're talking about racism still, it's kind of scary. But I think it falls down to really a matter of education. If you find, for, for instance, um, a stadium full of racists, for example, that's not going to solve anything. That's just you getting money off their actions. A stadium ban it's realistically not going to solve anything because they're going to return after two, three, uh, two, three games. I think it really falls down to education. It starts from the bottom. You just have to educate people. And I'm happy with the action that the Premier League has taken um, all over social media. There's been uh, videos about racism, how it's not in our game. And also yesterday at Solis Park, um, I saw on um, advertising boards about this is everyone's game. It's not racism. Uh, you know, racism can't take a toll on our game and I think the the message has been clear but we can't stop here we just have to continue doing it because there's always going to be instant instances that pop up and you just have to really keep teaching people and put the message across there because it what has happened previously it hasn't worked we're in 2019 and racism still exists so we just have to put it in education and just teach people that it's not right I mean this is a complicated issue when you I mean obviously in terms of should people make monkey noises in stadiums that's not complicated that's simple that's you know morally wrong completely unacceptable on the but the real thing here is if you successfully ban the expression of those beliefs so they're no longer making monkey noises but they still hate black people then 
you've still got a real problem. And in a way, it's kind of it's almost better that people out themselves as the idiots they are than by doing those stupid noises than that they secretly don't hire people because of the colour of their skin or you know even that kind of unconscious bias. And this is what we're talking about here with um, Mr Muir is, you know, he, um, obviously we can't talk about the individual allegations, but, you know, we know that it relates to a, a racist comment. If that translates into his work, then, you know, that could be a real problem for not just for our club, but, you know, for the, for the whole game and for society. And that those are the things that are going on under the surface. So, you know, addressing the noises and the catcalls and the chants is one thing. You know, those Chelsea fans um, a couple of years ago on the tube who pushed the black man off the metro um, in Paris, that's one thing. But, you know, there's also making it unacceptable to be expressed is one thing, but you've got to deal with the real cancer underneath the... Um, surface and that that's the point I think we need to take home today yeah I, I completely agree and, and as you know I don't like this show getting into anything political you know we're we're a we're about we're, you know we're a Crystal Palace podcast and, and football in general um, but obviously it, this is creeping into the game you know it, it's a difficult thing and without going into into personal beliefs and all that kind of stuff you know I really struggle with the the arbitrary nature of of this kind of attitude you know, when you when you hold those sorts of prejudices, and it's not restricted just to race, you know, there's whole, all sorts of LGBT problems, uh, and you know, and some great work being done to counter that. But the fact that people have to do that work is frustrating. Uh, you know, Gareth Southgate spoke, spoke very eloquently on the subject after the England match, and again, he talked about education, and that is absolutely right. These things do take time, but for for people to hold hold prejudices for skin color, sexual orientation, you know geography let's face it people are de- debating human rights and rights to work and rights to exist over geographical borders imagine someone who coming up to you and saying you can't move counties or you can't move houses because you have to live on that street your whole life uh, because that's where you were born and all that kind of stuff you know it, it is a nonsense and when people start dragging those things into sport and using sport to as, as a platform you know it really does it really does leave a horrible sour taste in the mouth. But at the same time, I take the point you're making, Chris, that it's actually important that you see people displaying those sorts of prejudices so you can tackle it and you do realise just how widespread the problem is. But horrible to see Palace dragged into that um, in that specific incident, but also horrible to see you know, football in 2019, as DR says, still in that place. Um, very, very uncomfortable with it. I was just going to say, Chris, I think you're spot on. And I think it was Kick It Out on Twitter said this week that let's not be fooled that it's just happening in Montenegro because I personally have been to a couple of games this year where I've, where I've heard it on the terraces, not from our fans, admittedly. And we had the Yang issue early on in the year as well. So I think it's still happening here as well. So we've got to tackle it everywhere. And I know a lot of people were just thinking, it's you know we've got rid of it here and we have made progress, but it definitely still exists here as well. And we've just got to challenge it whenever we can. Absolutely right, and that's it. Challenge it in the right way. And again, as as has been said multiple times, just educating people. And and I really, you know, you you hope to see a future where these sorts of things aren't an issue, and people aren't focused on dividing themselves on the most arbitrary of reasons. And that you know, oh dear, the risk of sounding all, you know, airy fairy. Oh, Chris, I'm going to cry. It's just, I don't you know, you can hear it in my voice. It, you know, like I said, I don't like to 
you know, we are a football podcast, and you know, and I do, I am massively uncomfortable with it all because it, it just, I just don't understand it, and I don't think me not understanding it is because I'm stupid. Maybe I am, but I think it's just because it doesn't make any sense, um, and I feel sad that we have to talk about it still. But there you go. Um, obviously, I'm sure you will have your views listening to this as well, and you're welcome to get in touch and let us know. And uh, but we'll uh, we'll leave that there for now, and hopefully not have to return to these sorts of things uh, in the future. Right. It's time, excitingly, to get a bit more into the the match detail. So first things first, we won. We won. We won. We got three points. It's great. It, you know, it pretty much secures our place in the Premier League. Very very happy that we won. But I have to say, with myself and with most of the people that I've spoken to or read comments from, it seems to be the least celebrated two 0 home victory I've seen in a long time. Um, and I, you know, I again. I think it's important to try and have perspective. I feel slightly different about it today than I did yesterday. Um, but I suppose it is a culmination of a lot of frustration. But it was a very tough game. Um, and it and it is a good result. It's a good win. Um, you're there. Yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> in hindsight, yeah, it is a good win looking back at it now. But walking out of Cellos, I'm like, geez, what an ugly win. Like, honestly, I can't remember a win like this in recent times, I don't think there has been an uglier win than the one we had on Saturday. Um, it was just all throughout, basically the first 75 minutes, we couldn't play football. Uh, we forgot how to play football and we're 30 games into the season. And then we got that penalty, which was deserved. And from then on, we just pretty much took control. But still, uh, it's the first half of the game, which is so unacceptable. But then again, as you said, it pretty much solidifies our position in Premier League, and that's the most important thing. So it was a good, it was a good win. I'm I'm happy about it now. But after walking out of the stadium, so many questions popped into my head. I was like, "What is going on? That was that shouldn't play it out. That shouldn't have played out like that." But yeah, it happens. <laughs> but nothing we can do now about it. I think there's no coincidence that over the four games that we've played Huddersfield since they've been back in the Premier League, or since the first time they've been back in the Premier League, they've done a number on us. So the first one we lost 3-0, and then we beat them up their place 2-0, and then we beat them this year 1-0, and each of them, all of the score lines have flattered us, apart from the 3-0. That probably flattered us as well, actually. But they, their high-pressing style, um, we've just not been able to cope with it on, on all the occasions that we, I've seen them play us. So I, I think there is something about us being poor, but also I think Huddersfield deserve a lot of credit because they definitely know how to play against us. Absolutely right. But what do we make of the booing? I mean, I don't. I you know I say this now categorically. Even in the worst of times, I, I've never booed the foot any, anyone at the football club. I can't even think I've ever booed a player, even the unmentionable one. Um, I don't think I've ever booed a, a Palace player, and I've certainly never booed the team. But I accept that other people do feel that they have to express their frustration and their annoyance, and that's the way they choose to do it. It's a bit theatrical to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. I mean, what other walk of life do you just, you know, you, you're in a shop and someone's giving you bad customer service, and you just you suddenly just go boo, boo at them? Maybe you should. I don't know. <laughs> but it just seems a very, very odd expression of, uh, of frustration. But what, what do you make of it? DR, I'll, I'll pick you since you're mentioning how you were feeling after the match. Um, first of all, you know, obviously, I don't think it's constructive, but there were boos at half time. I think there was boos to Batshuayi, I think, when he went off, or whether that was for Rory taking him off, I'm not yeah. so sure. But, um, but, but it wasn't it wasn't an isolated uh, amount of booing either. 
Yeah. Well, for the halftime beer situation, I was a bit surprised, but I like then again, I kind of saw it coming because the people around me were just so frustrated and they were just standing up and just shouting they're like what is going on what is going on so i kind of saw it coming and it was a abysmal first half so i wasn't too surprised about that but the booing with the bachelor situation i think many people are um misunderstanding it i think it was not booing ben teke coming on and taking off bachelor it's not just straight boo to the players it's more of boo to the decision whether that's right or wrong is up to the people i'd personally you're there, you've paid your money, you can boo if you want, you can do whatever that's in its limit. I think booing is in its limit, so it just expresses your frustrations. Um, but I, I, me personally, I don't think booing a player, no matter how bad or how good they play, is right. Because end of the day, they're still playing for Crystal Palace FC and I sport Crystal Palace. I, I don't, that's all that matters. If you're the 11 players out there, even when Wayne Hennessy was playing abysmal, uh, I still supported Wayne Hennessy. I'll still support whoever's out there because they play for Crystal Palace. But then again, I understand frustrations of the fans, but the Bachelorette situation, I think, was a bit misunderstood. It was not directed at Ben Teke. I, I watched the game back last night and the boos at half-time were incredibly loud. So, uh, you know, I couldn't believe how loud they were actually watching it back a second time. But also, um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, DR. I've never booed. What I have done is, though, I have to admit, I have been joining in the substitution, Roy Maker substitution songs in the last few games I've been to <laughs> and uh, refusing to. And I know I shouldn't, but they are. They're actually pretty good songs, actually, to be fair. Um, um, no, I agree. Sing I've never booed. Oh, no, I'm not singing now. You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. <laughs> but, um, but I have to admit, it, it was it was it was the the worst, probably one of the worst first halves I've ever seen, actually. And and that, and that sounds even worse. It's up there with Sunderland yeah. because actually, Huddersfield, if they could if they could create a chance, we could have been three or four down. Yeah, totally. And look, I, I want to make it clear. I I get it. You know, in fact, if there was ever a, a first half performance to to boo, I think that would have been it. it you know, um, I, I do get that there was a it was worth showing frustration at, but again, um, I wonder how you know we we talk about our home record and the reasons for it but how often is the focus actually on the sort of anxiety and and environment that the crowd are creating i think we've talked to enough footballers on this show over the last nine and a bit years to know that the crowd does have an effect um often in a positive sense but when the crowd feeds into the anxiety of a team that are already playing in a way that suggests anxiety or at least a lack of belief. And you can look at the difference after the, the penalty to see the difference that a bit of confidence and belief makes in the side. Because all of a sudden the passers are finding targets, the players are finding that little bit of extra time on the ball. And it is a hugely important factor. But I mean, sometimes like you can't get across to the players and the manager. And I think it just sends a message out there. Like, it, it hits the players. I think yesterday, the booing, it just kind of hit the player because I can't remember any other home game or away game this season that we've actually booed the team off the pitch. Um, I just can't. And I feel like yesterday, it just sent a message out to the players and the management that this is totally unacceptable because there's been unacceptable performances. But we're now 30 games in and we're still having these types of perform performances, which we sh simply shouldn't at this point of the season. And I feel like the fans just was frustrated and it was a way of just sending a message out. And I think the players responded as well in the second half um, and the management, you know, there was a substitution, of course, and maybe you have to boo more to make to, to make Roy do a sub. I think the fan reaction is one thing. 
actually, you know, the, the real core issue is that this happens pretty much every home game that we look like we're not ready, we're not organised, we don't have a plan in the first half. And in the second half, we're better and we tighten up. And clearly what, what seems to be happening is that, you know, I mean, Roy can't get his ideas across from the side of the pitch, but he can make use of a team talk to sort things out a bit. And that's where you can make some adjustments. Um, and that's clearly what he did with the substitution and the other adjustments yesterday. But it's absolutely unacceptable that the first half performances in home games are always poor. I'm trying to think, I mean, you know, t- correct me if I'm wrong. Can you think of a good first half performance that was followed up by a less good second half performance in a home game in the last year or two? I can't. No, 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 not at all. And, and- I think beyond that, uh, in terms of just home, I think away as well, we're, we're still often better in the second half than we are in the first. Um, not always, it doesn't always pan out that way, but I think I, I actually go into games now just waiting for half time, to be honest with you, because I know we're going to be better in the second half than we were in the first. Um, and that's a, it's a very, very odd, odd thing to look at. Um, look, we also created a whole bunch of chances as well that we managed to miss. I think Zaha had at least two very good opportunities that he, that he missed. Townsend dragged uh, a shot wide twice. Uh, who else missed? Someone else missed as well. Al Batshuayi had a good opportunity fairly early in the in the first half where he just got the ball caught under his feet and ended up having his shot saved when he could have just knocked it to Townsend for a tap-in. Loads of things that, um, you know, that again have been a feature of the season that we still haven't quite broken the back of when things have been different. But once again, gents, it was a, a penalty... That, that changed the game and we are fast becoming penalty football club it is something someone called a someone called us crystal pa, uh, crystal penalty football club on twitter yesterday which that's nine i think this season i don't know where we'd be without them <laughs> i really don't yeah i think it was chris hambo who said on the chat actually it made you more angry <laughs> when we went up one nil with the penalty and, and, and i and I think you're right, it did, because it just let us off the hook a little bit. It was a clear penalty. But but again, we've got away with them by having them, you know, and, and it's just... And, and again, there's some, there seems to be... And I, don't, I don't know if I buy this, but there seems to be this narrative growing that there's too much pressure on our home games and we're missing chances because of the pressure. And, and we are more decisive away, but I just can't imagine the pressure is of our fans is causing, you know, players to crumble in the last minute. But we are missing some absolute sitters. So I just... Uh... I was thinking as well that, you know, again, not converting chances is obviously a, a, definitely a feature of our season. But, you know, you pointing out that I was still angry after we scored and, well, potentially angrier after we scored. I mean, I'll be honest, the, the sort of the tension headache went <laughs> immediately as soon as we scored that penalty. Um, but, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's something. That shows I was still happy. On some level, I was still happy that we scored. But, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, we had some very interesting... Um, performances as well I like to get into those because again you try you try to look at whether or not you've got biases and I always delve into the whoscored.com statistics from the game uh, and look at the sort of player ratings and um, I've got to say this as well especially as he asked me to favorite his comment and then talk about it on the on the show if he was proven correct and that was that Mikey said Patrick Van Arnholt will have a great game that's what he said um I felt that Patrick Van Arnholt, Van, Arnholt, yeah, Van Arnholt scored, but that, you know, again, he showed plenty of defense, defensive frailties. So I looked at the statistics, and he was our highest rated player. <laughs> he got uh, 8.15 out of 10. Um, 
had uh, two shots, two, uh, which, both of which were on target, three click, uh, key passes, which was the joint most in the game, 78% passing accuracy, 66 touches. And, um, yeah, not a bad performance. So he was dropped out of the side for, for Jeffrey Slup against Watford. <laughs> Sorry, my brain hurts. Um, yeah, it was Watford, wasn't it? So what do you make of his performance, dear? It's weird because by the, like, by the eye test, it didn't seem like he had that much of a good game. I thought he was decent and there was some instances in the first half where he could have done a bit better. But yeah, I think that goal is so vital for him. Um, I'm not too sure when his last goal a goal, but it's been a while now. And you saw with Jordan Ayew after his goal against Wolves, he just scored another goal and now he's not on the side. But still, um, you know what I mean? Like Players get confidence from goals and I've hope that this changes Patrick Van Aanholt and improves his confidence because he really hasn't had the greatest um, 2019 so far, I'll say, because all three months that we've been in in this year, he hasn't hasn't really turned up and has some shocking performances. So hopefully this goal will be his performance and he'll end the season strong. He was definitely much more involved than he has been of late. And again, I think just he he seemed to have had that little bit of extra freedom given to him whether that was because of how Huddersfield were playing. Because again, they occasionally used, used uh, overlapping fullbacks to get the width, but they were more they were much more set in their shape. And I think that, that played into our hands in enabling uh, Wan-Bissaka to get forward as, on occasions and certainly enabling Van Aanholt to get forward and start linking with Zaha on that left-hand side, um, which again, is it's a good good means of attack for us. Also, another thing is that he went away um, during the international break and sometimes for players, he just... Does um yeah it does you good because you just take your mind off um club football and um I don't know like Wilf went away <laughs> I I don't know how that impacted him I don't know I don't know about that decision of him going but for Patrick Manano it might have done him a bit good just to be around different environment and different people so I think that might play a part as well yeah for sure I think you know Roy was a lot less happy about Wilf's Wilf's break because it, he went away uh, for medical tests with Ivory Coast they wanted to make sure yeah. that you know. Well, if he could play for them, he would play. So, but obviously, obviously, he didn't, um, and he came back and, and played pretty well. Actually, I think you know, again, statistically, our second best player. But you know, two assists and and was very, very good in the second half of the second half as well. Was was probably the difference between the two teams in the end. Um, Bat is one I want to talk about as well. A, a, essentially, a pretty poor game, and I'm going to give you a bit of a comparison. So, any 72 minutes. Uh, Batshuayi touched the ball a total of 29 times, which is comfortably the lowest of any outfield player who started the match. Um, he had three shots, none of which were counted as on target, uh, and he only won two aerial duels in that time. So to, to compare him to Benteke, who replaced him with 18 minutes left to go, Benteke had one shot, so, but made the same amount of key passes. No, sorry, made two key passes to Batshuayi's naught, but won four aerial duels in 18 minutes versus two in 72 minutes for Batshuayi. And that shows you how we were playing. You know, he actually had 15 touches in, in 18 minutes compared to the 29 in 72. So all of those things compared, I'm not just reading out statistics for the sake of it. The, the point is the way we played, the way we approached that game, there's zero point picking Mishi Batshuayi over Christian Benteke if you're going to play that way. 
it, it just seems absolute madness to do. And it's just, you can see it straight away. You know, as soon as that substitution's made, it's a different game. It's a different, it's a totally different situation. And all of a sudden we actually look effective. Um, and I've got, I can't help but blame the manager for that. It just seems madness. Yeah, Chris, you're saying that. But then again, there's been other games. Like you look at Watford game, you look at the Leicester game. That's why I wasn't really in the game then as well. But he still managed to get an odd goal or two. You know, he's been... That's why when, since he's joined us, he and, you know, the goals he has scored, in majority of them games, he really hasn't been involved as much because of the style of play. But it still worked. We still got the goals at the end of it. I think it's just one of them days where... You saw the cracks, like you can't keep doing this because he's not going to score every game. But then again, as you said, Penteke came on, he suffered a massive injury, uh, but he seemed like he was he was kind of decent when he came on and he changed the game around. We just seems if, seems if we're going to play that way, play them both. I was going to say that, Chris. I think you're right. I think we can play them both. People have debated, can you play them both? And I've seen enough of them now, just they're different players. I definitely think you can play them together. But also, look at, we've talked about this before, I think DR's stat of the week. The amount of times strikers, you know, the top striking sort of number of goals they've scored under Roy Hodgson, no striker ever, ever scores many under Roy because he just doesn't play tactics that suit them. So just just looking at the timings of those things, so 72 minutes, Benteke comes on, 76 minutes, the penalty is won. Now, obviously, you know, it's it's not as simple because I don't think Benteke was directly involved in that incident. Um, but, you know, the fact that we suddenly had a bit more purpose you know, does seem to me to stem from the fact that, you know, we, we had made that change. And, you know, the numbers that you've read out earlier from who scored uh, support that case. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea. Um, I, now that we're on the verge of safety, and this is something that, you know, um, we definitely do need to talk about, is, um, you know, what next? I mean, I suspect that Roy um, probably won't do what I'd like to see him do, which is a bit of mixing up and a bit of experimentation, um, you know, because he'll be trying to maximise the points tally. You know, this is the moment where you can do that. But I'd, I'd like to see some more experimentation, Definitely. maybe try playing the two strikers together, etc. You know, or giving Max 90 minutes of actually being given the ball. Options like that. Yeah, definitely. This, you know, when you're... I think you've got that problem, aren't you? Particularly, I, I tend to find the more old school managers have a tendency to talk about protecting the integrity of the league by playing their best sides throughout the rest of the season because they could affect other results and all that sort of stuff. But I think for the benefit of Crystal Palace, you you want to see some of those fringe youth players get a game. I'd like to see Sam Woods get a game at centre-back. You know, Sacco's out for the rest of the season. Um, Yesterday, Scott Dan seemed to be running in treacle with the greatest respect to him because, you know, we had a a clean sheet, so I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but, you know, I, I worry about his... You know, long-term ability to play in the Premier League. So we've got a, you know, got a young lad in Sam Woods who's very good on the ball, um, as well as being a, a you know decent size for a centre back. He's been on the bench a couple of times. He's been pushing. Um, so why not chuck him in there and see how he does? See what we see what we've got there. You know, especially as he's a he's a Palace fan as well, and I always like to see a Palace fan come and play for their for their club. Um, so it'd be nice to see a little bit of bravery in terms of team selection there a little bit as well. I was going to say um, how um, uh, I kind of talked about this, um, wrote, wrote an article for Back of the Nest about what's next because technically it's not really over because if we, if you look at the league positions, every league position is worth around £2 million. So I think it really depends on what the club 
prioritizes um because if you want to finish higher technically you don't really want to play the young youngsters and you'd rather play your strongest 11 so it really depends on what the club wants to achieve from now on do they really care about the odd two to four to even six million because you could go up to three places or do they care more about youth development it's a good question and um you've got to have that as i say you've got to have that balance haven't you um between respecting the competition as it is but i think we need to be selfish here if there's any potential benefit if we want to have a proper look at some players now is the time to do it i think obviously there's a few out on loan that um might have got a game if they weren't um but we yeah we need to we need to start looking to our future and to what we're going to do especially as you know come the end of the season we might be losing a few players you know you think about players who are going to want to hang around um, a team that's been in the position we've been in all season every year kind of the promise that we're going to do better we're going to kick on and we're not really doing that um, you, you know and you don't want to deal with it but there's there's players in our side who are very much targets for big clubs so who knows who knows what we can do Chris and that was um, a theme that came out of one of the pieces of listener contact which was um, our very own Patrick O'Corner um, who said, imagine a Palace side next season without Guaita, Aaron Wambasaka, Sacco, Maya, Zaha, Benteke and Batshuayi. Won't that be a fun side to watch? Well, um, no. Very <laughs> no, it, no, <laughs> no, it won't. So two things, Patrick. No, I won't imagine that. And no, it wouldn't be fun to watch. Um, I don't know we would necessarily lose all of those, but they are players who... So look at, look at them in order. There's been rumours that Guaita might go I don't think they've come from him but um yeah I won't I won't get into any more of that but you know certainly if well if you, if you address the rumor that's in the press it, you know it, the rumor suggests Guaiter out and uh, Jack Butland in who knows uh, obviously Juan Pasaka is a target for a lot of big clubs and it's going to be very tough to hold on to him under contract and I think really the key thing there is whether or not he and his representatives believe that another season at Palace will be good for him rather than moving on now. It's all about timing. But if he carries on performing the way he is, and, you know, come on again against Huddersfield, what a game. Especially that moment that ever stick in everybody's mind where we're under real pressure, looks like we're about to concede a goal, and he wins a challenge on his goal line, dribbles all the way across the goal line, dribbles past another couple of players, and then calmly plays it up to a to a colleague. You know, that, that was just sheer class. It shows you that he's, he's got a cool head under pressure, and, and he's always thinking about, you know, what the right decision is. And to be making the right decision more often than not at his age with his relative lack of experience, he's just an incredible talent and we're going to have to work so hard to keep him. Uh, you wonder if Sacco's injury might actually enable us to keep him for another season. But he was talking about, you know, potentially leaving in the summer. Uh, Max May has not really got a game properly um, and is not really fitting in and benefiting so again could could be one of the way out Zaha every year it's um, it's always the same if someone's going to come up with the money at some point aren't they and uh, and, and he'll be off Benteke's not currently getting in the side uh, struggled for a couple of seasons maybe he'll, he'll be looking elsewhere or we'll be un- looking to unload him Batshuayi is not our player so I see what Patrick's saying you know you can look at it that way um, and it could I mean if we get rid of all them players you're ideally looking at a FIFA type of situation, like you're going to have like 150 million <laughs> spending budget. Because if you just consider one <laughs> second wealth alone, you want at least around minimum 100 million. 
uh, for both of them combined, I think we'll get more than that. And then you're talking about Saka, you're talking about Max Meyer. Oh, that would be just incredible. But I don't know if Roy deserves that much money. <laughs> but when you come back, back to it as well, that's you kind of got, you hit the point. And also, it's the same argument about whether or not Roy goes because it's, it's the problem of what comes next. You know how do you, how do you know that how do you know we're not going to get another Frank De Boer if 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 Roy moves on and we get another manager in how do you know it's not going to be like that and yet again we end up scrambling for another manager and it's another season of of pain you know and I think the same goes for the players you can take the money but it's so hard to guarantee that you can that you spend that money in a way that works well so it's an, whatever happens you know you want to keep all of those players realistically if you can but you know you know we know that. At least, at least one on that list. I think Batshuayi. It's very unlikely he'll be with us next season. So, tough, tough question from Patrick, and I and I don't really have an answer. Um, but I do. What I do think is that we have a, an awful lot of work ahead of us. Got some other listener contact. Uh, Lucy asked, "Are we safe?" I think from the opening of the show, you know, you can get what I think. I think we are. Um, I can't realistically see. You just have to look at. Okay, the game's left. We've got some tough matches ahead, but. You know, it's it's really about what has to happen in order for us to be dragged down into that position because there's so many other teams who are below us who have equally tough games. And to ask, I mean, look at third bottom right now. So Fulham are down. You know, Huddersfield are, are actually down. Um, and Cardiff, there's nothing in their form to suggest that they're gonna they're gonna be able to win enough games, get enough points on the board in what they've got left to stay in the division. There really isn't. Um, but if they if they do, there's other teams that will be more worried than us right now. So I think we're safe. Um, Mark Drews asked, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask this question to you, Chris. Did yesterday's result just paper over the cracks? I think we've kind of covered quite a lot of that in this discussion. There are definitely, um, you know, quite profound cracks in terms of the way that performances happen. But at the end of the day. You know, we are, I mean, I don't want to go into platitudes, but the, the key point is, you know, from if you're taking the kind of Roy perspective that, that the job was to stay in the league, then, you know, yeah, fine, job done. Um, but if you've got a slightly greater ambition than that, then, yeah, those cracks and those concerns are still there. And this is a debate that will run through the summer, I think, about, you know, what next. Um, so, yes, it, it does... It does definitely uh, give a ro- you know the result gives a rosier picture than the performance, and that's come out through our discussion. But um, at the same time, you know, mission accomplished if that's the limit of your ambition. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, Simon, I'm going to chuck this one your way, although I'm going to stick my oar in before I do. And this is Take from away. Rob Leonard, who says, "Other than mi- other- <laughs> thanks, I will do. Will do. I mean, you know, when you can, you've got to, right? You got to do it. You got to do it." Yeah. So uh, Rob Leonard says, other than Mitrovic and Sessegnon, would the panel target any others? Any other Huddersfield or Fulham players? Um, Mitrovic, yeah, you know, I agree with that. Sessegnon, I think, very highly rated, but not really getting in their side much at the moment as well. So, but you know, I guess if he, if you look at him as a left back, that's one of the areas that I would be targeting because of my concerns over PVA's defensive abilities. But um, I think you get very much a similar player if you put Sessegnon in there. Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit there. What I would say is in Huddersfield's team, and I really like Alex Pritchard. I think really good player. Uh, really good on the ball. Great feet. 
incredible work rate. If we're looking at a central midfielder, you know, let's let's face it, you know, Punchin won't be at the club next year. I think he's a he's a good replacement for him in terms of the squad, and I think he could push people um, for a for a starting position quite like him. Anyway, over to you, Simon. I literally cannot think of anyone else other than Brickyard <laughs> from Hunderland, uh, from Huddersfield and Hunderland. I've merged Huddersfield and Thunderland there. Good work. Um, no, I can't, I can't think of anyone from Huddersfield in terms of Fulham. Um, I li- yeah, literally Mitrovic, Sessegnon, and there's been that. There's been another guy who's been quite well um, thought of, a winger, but I can't remember Kenny? his name. The other yeah, Kenny's been, been yeah, well thought of. He looks good, and and I still like. Um, uh, oh God, I've got a complete bank. The, the chap who uh, we, were, we, were, we were in for this summer as well, who played for Chelsea. Um, uh, what's his name up front for uh, Scherler? Andre Scherler. Oh, Scherler. Yeah. I still have him as well. So, yeah, a few from Fulham, but literally no one other than Pritchard and Hunsford. Huddersfield are genuinely this season pants. They're obviously, joint, <laughs> worst, joint worst ever team, you know, in terms of earliest to be relegated. So, Pritchard from them only, I think. Okay, we ran through a couple of the forward reviews that we've picked out uh, that we enjoyed. Tom Raddo with made hard work again. Luke Chester with we got the result. Someone called Simon Pizzy with an awful Palace performance. Uh, Z Block Partizani that was hard work. J R Moore zero zero seven one. What's that double oh seven one? Is that a, anyway? Uh, three subs made well, which I quite liked. Uh, Dilreep Alaraja, uh, thank Beep for that. Uh, Gordon Bennett uh, sets up Spurs nicely, and Brad Bobley with and Brighton lost too, which uh, which is a nice thing to think about uh, at the end of the show. So thank you very much to my panel. Uh, thank you to Sam for producing. Simon, you you put your hand up very quickly. Did you want to say something? I was going to do something for Dr. Hodgson. Make a sub. Hodgson. Hodgson. Make a sub. There you go. Well, well done. <laughs> Thanks for that. So cheers to to all of you for listening. Of course. Uh, Get on your podcast apps, rate us five stars, helps us share the word of the show. Um, we're waiting to hear on our awards nomination. Thank you to everybody who voted for us in the Football Blogging Awards. Uh, Love Sport, we should be on Tuesday, 7 to 9pm. All going well. Um, I'm moving house to Reading, so I'm pretty much done with Love Sport myself. It's been very difficult for me to get there uh, unless I happen to be on leave or something. Um, but... DR Nick and a whole host of new people that we've recruited uh, will hopefully be contributing to that. Um, so, yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Oh, of course, the preview show will also be recording, usually on a Thursday night, so keep an eye out and get your questions in for Terence and the boys. And obviously, we'll be back to review. I think they'll probably be, I'm guessing, reviewing the Spurs game. It's Wednesday, isn't it? So they'll probably be reviewing that and previewing the weekend's game against Newcastle. Brilliant stuff. Chris, you got your hand up as well when I'm trying to end the show. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say I'm off to brush my teeth now. Yeah, well, long overdue. We've been a, been a... It's been an interesting smell here in the studio. Chris's mouth, I can tell you that much. Thanks, everybody. Uh, catch you again Sunday. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.